Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Breeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Jones with a high drive to left field. Gardner back, and that one is gone! Maria, a swing and a drive! The deep right! Away back! Off the pole! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. All right, Mike Schmidt, the Hall of Famer, one of the greats of all time. Some say Nolan Arenado is now the best third baseman they've ever seen. I will still go with Mike Schmidt, and it's not just because he's on the walk-off with me and Ryan Spader. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Second of all, like we were talking about before, I don't know what day it is every day I wake up, but you have a fine system. So why don't you try and share that with our listeners? Well, those of us that use pills – extensively every day uh we use our pill case to tell us what day it is so uh, <laughs> when i get up in the morning and i see uh you know i know it's seven o'clock time to take a pill i go to my pill case and i go well it's empty on that side and it's there they are on oh it's wednesday okay it's wednesday hey and by the way you mentioned nolan arenado i think he's the best third baseman i've ever seen ever like more better than you <laughs> watching yourself better than you uh, well, I'm leaving myself out of it. I, I, I do, <laughs> obviously, the godfather of third base is, uh, is Brooks Robinson. And uh, for, for all of us, I think, of course, um, I would say that players nowadays, uh, Nolan Arenado is a good example. He might not have as good of memory uh, of Brooks Robinson and, and some of the things he did as a third baseman, uh, uh, especially defensively. Um, probably wouldn't know that much about Brooks. Uh, he surely has heard of him, I know, but um, of course I've seen Brooks and Nolan and uh, defensively, I can't imagine uh, there'd be anybody better than Nolan Arenado. Mike, you bring up Brooks Robinson and Nolan Arenado and uh, then yourself, and we're talking all-time great elite defensive third baseman. Now, of course, you and Arenado have the uh, home run ball and uh, on-base percentage that go for you that Brooks didn't necessarily have. I think he hit about 260 or so. But um, when we're looking at the Hall of Fame, do you think that there is place for a guy like, uh, say, Ozzie Smith, who is an all-time great defensive shortstop, but his bat just wasn't there throughout his career? He was at his peak, uh, an average bat, and for the majority of his career, he was below average significantly. Um, sure, uh, he was that good um, in terms of gold gloves and his style of play at short and his entertainment value. Uh, it, it would be awful hard to you know to um, to find people that would say that Ozzie Smith wouldn't be a Hall of Famer, uh, especially people from my era. Um, you know, it's funny about the Hall of Fame is. Uh, the only people that matter are the are the writers, the people that vote, um, and you know there there's so many differing opinions about the Hall of Fame and the voting and who should be in and who shouldn't be in, and um, you know during baseball season in bars and restaurants, uh, gatherings of people all over the country, uh, when the Hall of Fame subject is thrown out by somebody, a couple hours later they're still talking about people who should and shouldn't be in, and um, that I think is what's the greatest thing about the Hall of Fame is it's is its controversy, believe it or not. Um, sure, hell of an honor to be a Hall of Famer um, means everything to the people that are. A lot of people are borderline, and some would say should be in, others would say shouldn't. But it's one of the greatest honors and the greatest Hall of Fame uh, in all of sports. Um, but you know the the um, controversy over the years about who who should be and who shouldn't be, I think, is one of the very interesting subjects. And over time, um, you know, I would say over the last 15 or 20 years, I think, um, and this is, you know, not disrespectful to anybody, but I think 
you know, there has been a trend uh, more towards sort of a, I want to say, loosening the requirements uh, for Hall of Fame. You know, when you say originally that the Hall of Fame was uh, developed for the greatest of the great, I mean, you, you can have a fantastically great career and may not have gotten to the level of what the original what the original Hall of Fame was created for, and you know that's just uh, the way that uh, I kind of view it. You know, I, I don't disrespect anybody. I mean, there there's a whole lot of players out there that uh, um, should be Hall. You know, it, what it gets down to, so to speak, is that if he's in, then he should be in. If he's in, then he should be in. Why isn't he in? If he's in, you know that discussion and um that that's an interesting barroom discussion but it also adds to um the subjective nature of the voting so you bring up the BBWAA and the writers being the only ones that have a say and I, i'm of the belief that guys like mike schmidt wade boggs our hall of famers uh should have a say and i do an annual poll every year on who you guys think should be in the hall of fame so i'm gonna have to include you this year but um in terms of just you know i bring up omar viscale because he's one of my favorite examples i i just would say in terms of on-field production and that doesn't mean just defense i would rather have a jimmy rollins who was a good offensive shortstop and a great defensive shortstop, maybe not an all-time great, but I don't think people are going to vote Jimmy Rollins in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I'm curious, who do you take between the two, having seen them both play? Uh, Jimmy Rollins is a close friend. I've only seen Omar Vizquel uh, sparingly on television. Um, both have uh, both have strong upsides. Uh, if, if I could pull out. Uh, a baseball guide right now and look at uh, Omar Vizquel's statistics and put them side by side with Ji- side by side with Jimmy. I'm not sure who you know who has better. My guess would be Jimmy uh, because you know Jimmy's been an MVP and he's he's had some high home run years over time. And uh, um, but then again, uh, people that have been around Omar Vizquel a long time would say no question they take him. Um, again, that's why I don't want to be put in a position like you were saying uh, that Boggs gets put in every year by you to to give their <laughs> opinion on who should and shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. I stuck my neck out there a little bit with uh, what I said a couple of minutes ago <laughs> about the Hall of Fame. But uh, again, uh, and I forget what the original question was here related to the Hall of Fame. I guess. It was, uh, but you, see, it's typical uh, when you bring the subject up, you just get people going. You know, it gets people going. And um, the funny thing about Boggs, uh, and, and, and I only think of Boggs as a typical example of a guy that is in in the Hall of Fame. Generally, guys in the Hall of Fame don't think anybody else should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe Morgan's a great example of that, right? <laughs> don't ask Reggie Jackson. <laughs> oh, gosh, Reggie. Uh, but, you, you know, it, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this. And, and like you said, it's, it, this is meant to be a discussion had over, over beers in a, in a bar room. But um, here we are on podcast, radio, whatever you want to call it. And we got a guy who I know that um, you're in his corner and I'm in his corner. And of course, Mark Carfagno is in his corner. Uh, Dick Allen, who he he doesn't really hit those um, those marks that you talk about. He didn't get the 500 home runs. He didn't get even 2000 hits, uh, let alone 3000. But he had such a, a great prime, like where you're talking 30 doubles, 10 triples, 30, 40 homers and uh, 10, 15, 20 stolen bases in his prime that it just looks to me like this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. And if you look throughout history uh, in terms of players who were um, bad, had at least five seasons with um, a 300 batting average, a 400 slugging percentage and a 525 slug, slugging, they you got 22 of 23 guys are in the Hall of Fame through 1995, which was uh, soon after you were inducted. And then the only guy out is, is Dick Allen. So uh, I guess I'm wondering, 
You, first of all, you do believe Dick Allen is a Hall of Famer, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so whether or not you do. And then why do you think that uh, he belongs versus you know other guys who don't miss hit those 500 home runs or 3,000 hits? That uh, well, work- I, I would like to I would like to be able to quote all of that uh, uh, at some point next uh, you know next winter season when uh, I believe the golden era. Um, of which he's a part, is uh, voted upon. Uh, he missed by one vote uh, the last time that golden era um, vote was uh, was happening. And, um, you know, there, there's some, uh, you know, some issues around why that happened. And somebody uh, got sick and was a, an Allen supporter and, and didn't show up. And the guy that replaced him wasn't. And, um, you know, just rumors about that. But, uh, you know, I believe them. Um, the people you mentioned, uh, yes, are, are strong supporters and have a, uh, a large campaign to try and uh, convince people of Dick's, uh, hang on, of Dick's deserving to be uh, in the Hall of Fame. Drop the phone. Um, you know, over over um, uh, like a nine to ten year period, I believe it was what is it, sixty to sixty nine, uh, from his uh, Rookie of the Year year uh, through, um, I guess uh, his. Tenure with the White Sox, uh, I believe that happened like 69 to, uh, I want to say. You're looking at about uh, 64, his first full season with the Phillies, to 73 with the Sox. Okay, okay, there you go. Well, through that period, he might have been the best hitter in all of baseball. Um, He had numbers uh, equivalent to numbers like uh, Willie Mays and – and Hank Aaron, uh, if you start to go to some of these newfound statistical categories like war and – uh, things such as that, you 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 find that he might very well have been the best player in baseball for a long period of time offensively, um, and you know he he did it. Uh, it's a unique story, as you guys know. He did it under circumstances that most people could not have handled at all. Um, I'm not saying Dick handled the you know the the racial issues in Philadelphia uh, as well as he should have, but you know it was hard to play um, in Philadelphia. Uh, for him uh, back in those days. So, again, you know, it goes back to you comparing Dick Allen to who. Um, there are many people in the Hall of Fame uh, that would be comparables uh, to Dick Allen. Um, and for that reason, I think it's a very worthwhile uh, endeavor to do what I want to do, whatever I can do to support Dick as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and like I said, I'm 100% with you on, on Dick Allen, and I I appreciate as a fan of the game, I appreciate what you're doing because, like you said, you're you're a Hall of Famer, and many Hall of Famers don't want other people in their Hall of Fame. I, I'm I'm for a more inclusive Hall of Famer with uh, zero career home runs myself, and I see Dick Allen largely as a um I. I covered the bills for a while and cookie Gilchrist is somebody who I became obsessed with. He, he was um, sort of like the NFL's version of Dick Allen in that uh, he was viewed as like a, a black guy who didn't shut up at a time when black players were just supposed to play the game and they weren't supposed to have opinions. And, and Allen, as, as we both know is uh, an opinionated individual. And um, he just, I guess was looked down on for that reason. And for, like you said, racial inequality at the time. Yeah, you know, and nothing to do with racial inequality, but I feel the same way about Jim Cott as I do about Dick Allen. I mean, <clears throat> Jim Cott uh, had an unbelievably great career, has dedicated his life to baseball, uh, not only as a, as a great pitcher um, over over the time that he played, but uh, as a broadcaster, you know, and still is a broadcaster. And, um, you know, I think there's ample reason for Jim Cott to be considered as well. All right, so Mike, here's the deal. 1999, my first ever like national uh, baseball event that I've covered, the All-Century team uh, to yeah. this day. Warren Spahn was a guy that I met. He reminded me of my grandpa, who was my favorite person ever, taught me baseball. And then you had you and Tom Seaver and Ted Williams and all these guys. And it was just on TV, and it took me back to the day when I was actually there, the days when I was actually there. What do you remember about the all-century team and just how amazing it was to have all you guys there in one place? Now, are you talking about uh, being in Boston or being in uh, Yankee Stadium? I'd say Boston because that's really when it went down, right? 
So you're talking about the night where they honored Ted Williams, where he was in a wheelchair? That um, was it. I say the whole week, though. I don't know if you were there the whole week, but the whole week was amazing because they made you guys available uh, to just about everybody. And, and I think they did something else later on that season. But what do you remember from that? What about Boston? And well, if you remember that also, there? and again, you know, you're talking to somebody now, I guess, well, as 30, 35 years ago, but um, it could have been in Atlanta as well. Um, I'm... Um, I'm remembering Pete Rose being on site. Um, uh huh. It was Boston. That's where Pete was Rose it, came. Was it Boston with the Ted Williams celebration, where everybody gathered around him on the yeah. mound? And do you remember too the massive controversy that they had because Pete was invited there? I mean, that was oh my God, Pete Rose! It was such an amazing thing because we finally saw him back in baseball too. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. <laughs> Pete Rose for sure is is on that all-century team. There's no doubt about that. Uh, one of the great honors, for sure, um, for me and my career, when you start talking about uh, being uh, you know, on the starting nine of the all-century baseball team, that, that's pretty large. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when you start looking at all the people that you know could have been, it's obviously, in my case, Brooks Robinson, number one, uh, George Brett, uh, uh, Eddie Matthews, um, you know, some strong candidates at, at third base. Uh, no, I, that was a great honor to see all the guys uh, gathered together, um, especially Ted um, in a wheelchair. And, uh, I, you know, that was uh, the only time I had ever been on the field at uh, Fenway Park. So that was oh. quite a memory for me. Yeah, um, you know, the controversy around Pete Rose, I don't think should cloud this conversation, but uh, um, I remember there being some uh, some static about him being interviewed, about uh, being asked the question about did you bet on baseball or something mm-hmm. like that, and he ended up walking off the field. Or um, you know, I can't specifically remember that, but yeah, it was uh, it was quite an honor, and and for baseball fans like yourself to be in that environment, something special. Yeah, there's, there'll be nothing else like it. I mean, having a World Series at Wrigley was kind of surreal, too. But being around all you guys was amazing. So uh, I was in awe. And again, it's it was like Warren Spahn was the guy that I'll never forget. But when you're growing up, um, or maybe when you get into the minors or the majors, was there anybody that you met that you said, holy moly, I am getting a chance to hang out with this guy who I just revere or I looked up to? Sure, um, a whole bunch. Um, I even got to play with some of them. <laughs> Who? <laughs> well, Pete Rose, for starters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I watched Pete play his first game uh, at Crosley Field with the Cincinnati Reds uh, uh, on TV. Um, you know, I remember when Charlie Hustle was the first guy to ever sprint to first base on a, you know, on a walk. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I remember that flat top he had and how he wore his uniform and, um remember everything about him and what are the odds of, of watching that as a young kid, uh, going to college and, and, and watching the Reds and, um, ending up, you know, looking out there on that field and it's like a dream atmosphere. It's kind of thing you, you think about when you're laying in bed at night and, um, you dream about it and all of a sudden you you become a professional athlete and then, you know, just, you get breaks and things happen and, before you know it, you're playing against a guy like Pete Rose and he's, you know, bumping you behind the batting cage and laughing with you a little bit and, um, you know, saying things like, I heard about you, you're a hell of a player and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, he's traded for and he's on your team or he's in free agency and he's on your team and he's a teammate and you're sitting on the airplane playing gin with him. Wow. <laughs> That's a long way to go with, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, what could be better in life to, uh, I mean, obviously there's family and love and, you know, the, the, the spiritual side of life and health and all those kind of things. But when you're asking me about people in, in life, uh, in the sport that I play, um, that I was in awe, you know, awestruck of, uh, as a kid and ending up, you know, getting to meet him, Pete would be the greatest example. I mean, and there were, there were many others. I mean, Bench was on that team too. And Bench and I have been great friends for 20 years and, um, I mean, golly, Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, uh, um, I'm, I'm Mickey Mantle, uh, you know, just, just on and on and on. I mean, it's a charmed life that I've had in that regard. And uh, um, 
you know, in terms of uh, my profession, what could what could be greater than that? I mean, there's there's players in other professions that I could really go for some name dropping right here, but I'm not going to. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm no different. I'm no different than you, Holden. I, I'm the same as you. In fact, I'm worse. Uh, um, can you imagine if I'd ever get to meet Tiger Woods? <laughs> <laughs> I live in my neighborhood, you know, I live in a neighborhood where Dustin Johnson's a neighbor and uh, Tiger lives down the street and uh, Rory lives here and um, these guys are everywhere, you know, and uh, uh, geez, I mean, I'm too old, obviously, you know, I'm uh, I'm 70 and Rory's 23, so there's only 50 years difference and he he has no idea who I am and... uh, but you know, I, I'm a little boy. You know, I'm a little boy fantasy with a lot of that stuff. And golly, I would I would give anything to play golf with one of those guys, or, or you know, or get to have dinner with them and ask questions. And um, I, I have a lot of the same fantasies that you guys do. Well, you, how about Morgan of the Kissing Bandit? You could not have had a fantasy back in the early '80s about that. I mean, uh, <laughs> we're not allowed to bring that up. We haven't not been out, allowed to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, dig that up uh, for what fifty years? That, that, oh, I didn't know that there was a history because I, I, honest to God, I didn't know if there was anything. Well, I, I, just I think remember. there was a thing where she she used to kiss a third baseman or something. I don't know, but that's, oh, that's not that a subject it? I want to go into. Okay, I don't. <laughs> hey, Spader, you you got to look it up on YouTube, man. I, I'm we're not going to go into it. I didn't know there was a history. I'll just uh, say I, it's, I, that was my dream to meet Morgana. Not with not me. Anymore. <laughs> Lenny Dykstra has brought it up one too many times with me. Uh, really? He, he seems to think that she belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say on that. But to, to circle back, <laughs> circle back to the uh, Hall of Fame. I think guys at your position, Mike, uh, have kind of gotten a short stick from BBWAA. When you look at the third baseman who have been inducted uh, by BBWAA, you're looking at Pie Trainer, Eddie Matthews, Brooks Robinson, yourself, of course, George Brett. Wade Boggs and Chipper Jones. And you are talking, I think that's what you said. Like, this is what the Hall of Fame was initially supposed to be the elite of the elite. But then when you go over to a guy, uh, like a position like shortstop, and you see a Barry Larkin, who was a great player, I would put him like right there with Jimmy Rollins. Uh, he gets in on his third ballot pretty easily. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say he's not a Hall of Famer and not for tearing down statues, but. I would say that he is one for one, the um, shortstop equivalent of Scott Rowland, who I would probably vote for as a Hall of Fame third baseman. Do you think that BBWAA pays a premium to shortstops over, say, third baseman or second baseman, looking at like Lou Whitaker for um, a case in second baseman? No, uh, Ryan, I, I don't have a comment on that, to tell you the truth. I I think that's uh, that's probably uh, far from being the truth. Uh, I I don't think there's any, you know, I think any any relevance to that at all. I think it's just uh, over time uh, there's been third base is more of a position. Shortstop's more of a position. Actually, you, you mentioned Chipper, who started as a shortstop, and uh, I I originally came into baseball as a shortstop. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, uh, same thing, shortstop. Uh, Cal Ripken, shortstop. Um, so there, there's more third basemen a lot of times are converted players from other positions. As you get older, there's a lot less responsibility and ground to cover. So um, and the shortstops, I mean, you get to do a lot more. You you, you get to um, uh, be involved more in the game uh, in so many different ways, from double plays to more balls hit to shortstop, uh, uh, sort of the quarterback of the defense, uh get to show off your defensive skills a little bit more. The plays are a little bit harder. You have to cover a little bit more ground, actually a lot more ground. Uh, uh, you, you show more athletic ability. In general, shortstops are more athletically inclined, faster, uh, um, you know, may, maybe a little bit more flashy than, than third baseman in general. So um, maybe maybe uh, with, with uh, all relevance, uh, maybe they've dug down a little deeper to find shortstops deserving of Hall of Fame. And we don't have any Major League Baseball. We got no hockey. We got no NBA. But you might think there's nothing to bet on, and you'd be wrong. 
BetOnline, BetOnline.ag is the website. BetOnline.ag, it's our exclusive partner. They got hundreds of events, games, props to wager on. They got an online casino, poker, blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. And if you are missing the NFL, I am too. No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It's pretty cool. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, Stock Prices, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's open 24 hours a day. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today. Receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your new online wagering solution. That's betonline.ag. Guys, if you're looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, night or day, even on a full stomach. You don't need to go to the doctor's office either. You don't have to spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost. And once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's the deal for you guys. Go to bluechew.com. Get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. B-L-U-E-CHEW.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, that's a really fair point. And one thing that I, I told you we would uh, talk about and Holden and I actually just talked about with Bill James, who is, I guess, considered the uh, godfather of sabermetrics and all those advanced stats. And the advanced stats speak really well to a, a guy like you who has the back of the baseball card stats as well. And if you look at the awards, um, your MVPs were what, 80 and 81, right? Or and yeah, 86. 86. 86, excuse me. But if you look at those, you probably could have won a couple in the 70s. And I, I think that the writers kind of um, uh, dropped the ball in the voting. There was a there was an obsession with um, relief pitchers winning MVP awards, which was very strange to me. Uh, Cy Young awards even. And I, I'm not going to ask you to uh, take away an award from a teammate of yours, Bedrosian, who won it in the 87, the, the Cy Young Award. But do you think that um, when the votes were cast in the 70s and the 80s, that maybe they weren't looking at the uh, right information? Because uh, for one, I, I think you probably should have won the MVP in your uh, third big league season, 74, uh, played all 162 games, led the league in homers and slugging, uh, and played, obviously, a, a great third base. Well, you know, a lot of times, <clears throat> a lot of times those uh, MVP awards, as you say, uh, um, again, like Hall of Fame voting, I mean, subjective, uh, um, the, uh, uh, you finish in the top five uh, in the MVP, you you know, you could be considered an MVP because uh, such a fine line between finishing fifth in the MVP and actually winning the MVP uh uh, I had a few top five finishes and I think, you know, a couple of top tens as well. And I mean, I'm, I, I you could say that I'm just as proud of the years that I had, um, finishing sixth or seventh or eighth in the MVP voting. And uh, maybe somebody else just had an unbelievably awesome year or, uh, we split the votes or, or what have you. I mean, I have, uh, I have a fair share of MVPs. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can't be upset with three of them. Now, the, the last thing I'm going to ask you to talk about on your O career is uh, 1981, because if you look at the season that was cut because of the strike, I, I think, honestly, it was going to be your best season of, of your career. You're, you're 31. You're in your prime. You ended up winning the MVP. You won a gold glove, a, a silver slugger. You had uh, the highest OPS of your career. I don't know how much stock you put into that. And your offensive output was almost 100 percent above league average. Uh, do you ever look back and like, damn, I really wish that didn't go to the strike? Yeah. It yeah, uh, Ryan, I sure do. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. I've done um, uh, several shows and a couple of newspaper interviews related uh, relating this season to 1981. Um, obviously, the, the difference is immense. Uh, you know, we weren't losing lives back then. We were we were in a, uh, a labor dispute with owners and uh, uh that's a lot different a lot more a lot less serious than what we're going through now and uh but the subject just being um you know not having baseball 
of course, we don't have sports at all now, but, you know, not having baseball, how does it affect the players? What do the players do to stay in shape? Um, when do you think the season will start? Uh, um, there, there are, you know, comparables uh, to, the two, to the two things. However, when the labor dispute was finished uh, in 81, we started to play baseball. And, and we had already played, um, well, I mean, I don't know how many games we had already played, 60 or 70 games at that point. And so there were games on the books. You know, there were stats on the books, games on the books. Uh, it, was, it was quite a bit easier to put together a season. <clears throat> Once we started, uh, I believe it was some point in uh, early August, so I'm not sure when we started, but I think we, we ended up with about a 110-game season that year. And um, without question, I think our team in Philadelphia that year was the best Philadelphia team uh, during my career that we had. Um, we we lost out to the Expos in the, in the mini-series to get into the NLCS that year, but Personally, I uh, you know I was on a run uh, that I had never been on throughout my career. Um, you know, I believe I had 33 home runs and what 100 games or something like that. I'm not sure what it was, but the stats would have been uh, would have been pretty darn good had I you know had I stayed healthy. And if you multiplied them out uh, over 162 game season, they would have been pretty darn good. But you never know. You know, you never know whether you're going to stay healthy. Um, you can you, you can project stats uh, all you want, but in, unless you have them on the books, it doesn't mean anything. So um, I think, yeah, I think the 1981 season was probably potentially going to be my best ever. You know, it's it's funny you say you can project out the stats because that's really all I can do from here. I, I mean, I got cut from my college club team. I'm not a very good ball player as much as I would like to be. Instead, I got to uh, look over the careers of guys like you and uh if I look over your best 162-game stretch in terms of home runs, you had stretches there where you hit 55, 56, 58 home runs. Uh, when you were playing, did you ever look at yourself as a guy who could potentially take down Maris? Because you did have those stretch, those stretches. Um, I, I think you got you added you gave me too many home runs there. I think it was 48 was my best year, not 58. Yeah, you had 48 as your best year, but if you look at your 162 stretches from season to season. You had 55, 56, 57 home runs over these stretches that span two seasons for your best 162 games. Oh, I see what you're saying. Now, see, now you you are really uh, digging deep to find some numbers here. <laughs> <laughs> you should see what happens you know, when you, you tell guys that you pick out your best good. 162 games. <laughs> <laughs> How about if you picked out Barry Bonds' best 162? 80, 80 home runs. That's Barry yeah, Bonds' best 162. So now, pe- now people have something to compare <laughs> mine to. So, um, well, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I don't. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to comment on that. I never have really heard that uh, statistical analysis. Uh, that's that's a good one. Um, I um, um, don't know what to say to that. <laughs> you got me. You got me tongue-tied there, Ryan. I'm sorry. It's it's like I said. I I do baseball by the numbers because I I can't hit a curveball or anything over 80 miles an hour. Well, I never could hit a curveball either. <laughs> you just spit on the curve. You don't swing at it. You spit on it, and then uh, do your best to fake a swing at one every now and then, and hope they don't throw it a lot. <laughs> Hey, Mike, so there's only a couple of books that I've read about hitting. Um, I always wanted to be a pitcher, but Ted Williams came out with a book called Hitter. And then I believe it was the mid-90s. Was that the Mike Schmidt study, right? Yeah, Ted Ted Williams, I believe, Holden, was the science of hitting. Mm-hmm. And mine was the Mike Schmidt study, yes. Well, I loved it. And I feel like back at that point in time, there was a set regimen on how to be a great hitter. And now they tell you hit the ball in the air all the time and guys hit a ton of home runs. You did not approach it that way. What was your approach to hitting back in the seventies and eighties? And do you think you could tell a young hitter today how you did it and they could actually implement that? Because my sense is that's there. You're not allowed to do that anymore. There's one way to do it in the way that you guys did it, despite hitting five, 600 home runs can't do it anymore. Uh, holding this, you know, I, I may end up going a little long on this, but I'll try and condense it as much don't, as I can. Don't, we love you. Go. The, talk. um, 
I happen to watch uh, that. You know, they're, they're showing replays of great games uh, on MLB now, and I was sitting here uh, having to watch uh, a World Series game between the Cardinals and the Brewers. Um, I guess it was like '82-ish, somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, I, I was marveling at how all of the hitters. I mean, maybe there was one or two that weren't, but in general, all of the hitters swung the bat level through the strike zone. They could all, you know, they could all get on top of a high fastball. Uh, there were a lot of ground balls hit in the game that I was watching. It was Don Sutton uh, versus uh, uh, for the Sutton for the Brewers, and um, Vukovic was pitching for uh, uh, Pete Vukovic for the Cardinals, and um, it, it just it, the, the difference between hitting then and hitting now is like night and day. Of course, they didn't have shifts back then, and the ballparks were generally a little bigger than today's ballparks. And, you know, I guess you could say it was the 1980s version of the baseball and version of the bats and and such uh, as compared to today's. But um, there was a trend, not a trend, but a a, a general hitting philosophy back then of of swinging level through the baseball. And in fact, a lot of guys um, tried to drive down on the baseball. And, and then, you know, you mentioned Dick Allen, Ryan. Uh, there, there was nobody better at a top-hand approach through the baseball, which is the exact opposite of the approach taught today in baseball. Dick Allen did not try to lift the ball. Dick Allen tried to, you know, he tried to hit a line drive right back through the pitcher's legs. Um, in fact, he did one time, and it went over the center field fence. I heard, but, <laughs> but um, that was the way hitters hit back in it. If you see that old commercial about Jackie Robinson and 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 uh, Jackie Robinson swung down on the ball, he, he literally tried to drive the ball on the ground. Now, for me, uh, I, I like to copy I like to I like to uh, try to imitate Dick Allen a lot when I hit and I had a I had very much uh, toward the end of my sort of 1980s and so on to the end of my career very much of a of a level swing through the baseball now I tricked myself into that level swing by telling myself to swing down at the ball to try and drive the ball down into the ground which made my swing perfectly level um, <laughs> you know so it, it got, you know athletes a lot of times employ that theory where you try to trick yourself into doing something. You tell yourself to do one thing, thinking that it, you know, thinking that it's something, but when you watch it on video, it's something different. So you have to trick yourself. And um, with the, you know, all kind of hitters come to mind, Dave Winfield, uh, uh, Dave Parker, um, Steve Garvey, um, uh, Andre Dawson, uh, Cal Ripken, all these hitters come to mind that had a downward plane to their swing uh, back when we played. Now, uh, jump forward to today's game. Well, by the way, I don't want to jump forward too much without mentioning that Ted Williams taught in the science of hitting a slight uppercut of the baseball. Mm-hmm. So Ted, <clears throat> Ted was, you know, the smartest guy ever back in those days about the science of hitting, and you know, he had a little bit of a different thought about it, but then again, he played in Fenway Park, and he thought since the pitcher was throwing the ball on a slightly downward plane to home plate, that he should you should have a slight uppercut, and that you should hit inside the ball with your hands rather than out around the ball. And he was way ahead of his time, obviously, because that's the exact way that hitting is taught today. Now, it's taught today that way because there are shifts in defenses, so hitting the ball on the ground today is more apt to be an out. Um, they are there are small ballparks where hitting the ball in the air is uh, more beneficial to scoring runs. And Ryan, your your uh, analytics and knowledge of that would prove that. I'm sure uh, you prove that um, the more you hit the ball in the air, the more runs you're going to score. And guys are bigger, stronger, um, and they're able to get the ball in the air out of the ballpark. And the strikeout and the uh, ABC style of baseball is not relevant today. It's just not. Uh, Everyone involved in the coaching and administration administration side of the game, they look past the idea of the strikeout being a rally killer. They don't care. 
They don't care about 200 strikeouts. They don't care about 175 strikeouts. They don't care about a strikeout ending a you know ending a, a rally. Um, all they care about are batters launch angles and um, launch velocity, um, and they think that that is the proper way to increase offense in a game today. Not only that, they think fans like it more. Um, they just think that that's the future of the game. And I would uh, argue till I go to my grave about them being wrong, but that's just the, the, that's just the reality of the, of the baseball world we live in nowadays. Yeah, and I've talked to Ryan about this. You have to compare players with stats from the different eras. Like there is a there is a big time cutoff, and I would say it's probably around 2008 to between 2008 maybe 2012 when the whole approach got different. And you look at guys that are hitting 300, like Rod Carew. We've talked about this. The OPS isn't there, but Rod Carew is one of the greatest hitters of all time. So right. you know, there's right. there's different there's different ways to look at it, Mike. I and, and well, Ryan's, you know, it, yeah. One 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 real simple way to look at it is is when I played rallies, rallies were prevalent. Um, teams knew how to rally. Teams knew how to advance runners. Teams knew how to push a run across the plate. Nowadays, rallies are nowhere near as much of part of the game as they were. Let's jump back into my day. I mean, I don't know where the cutoff time is. Is because rallies are killed with strikeouts and fly balls. And uh, so, you know, to me, that's the, the major part of the game is. Uh, and and by the way, you know, always when you look at. Um, I don't know, the last few years, uh, you would see the teams generally with the fewest strikeouts end up uh, going very deep into the postseason, if I'm not mistaken. And, and don't get me into the whole uh, Houston cheating uh, uh, thing, but Houston and Boston are one of the two toughest teams to strike out, and they always seem to go deep uh, into the postseason. You know, uh Mike, it's funny you guys are bringing up the measuring guys with the modern analytics and everything. And believe it or not, I actually fall somewhere in the middle because I've heard uh, Keith Law say that Lou Brock is one of the worst Hall of Famers of all time. And I, I you know, you say spit on the curveball. I, I spit on that because Lou Brock did exactly what a leadoff hitter was supposed to do in the 60s and the 70s. And that's hit for a high average. He was a 294 career hitter. And he stole bases, 938 in his career. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair to – as easy it is to look at Mike Schmidt's numbers and be like, well, he was one of the greats at the time. And let's look at what the modern analytics say. The modern analytics say he was one of the greats at the time. I, I, I just don't think it's always fair to look back and say, well, analytics say this guy wasn't that great because – they didn't exist at the time. So maybe he was just doing exactly what you're saying, playing for a rally. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Um, um, yeah, you mean uh, rating players, um, um, judging, comparing players over eras. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to be he played in the live ball era. He played in the strikeout era. He played in the small stadium era. Um, um and there's a lot of them out there right now playing the game that, and it's their world, you know, it, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's the player's fault. It's the player's world in which they play. And the, the style of the game um, nowadays is um, more of a style. I don't want to say this. Uh, I don't want to say it's millennial baseball, but um, it, they play in a world where it's about flash and it's about, um, uh, look at me. Uh, it's it, you know, there's a lot going on in the game today that uh, um, you know was was frowned upon uh, back when I played. I mean, if you couldn't get a runner from from second to third with nobody out, uh, the manager would grab you by the shirt and uh, throw you down in the dugout seat and, and scream at you, right? And it's it. They don't care now. You know, it, I mean. It, it's really not a part of the game. They don't want you to get a runner from second to third. They want you to swing away and try to hit a fly ball. I mean, they don't care. You know why they don't care, Ryan and, and Holden? Please. Because, you're, because your numbers, your numbers, <laughs> no, your numbers say that if you bunt a man from second to third 
with nobody out, and he's on third with one out, he will score more times if you let the next three hitters swing away with a man on second and nobody out. Simple math. There, the numbers are right there in the analytics. It's like one percentage point, but believe me, it's, it supports that you do not want to move that man from second to third. In other words, what you don't want to do is give up an out. Hmm. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and by the way, I'm not, who's right or wrong? I mean, the, the numbers coming out of the computers nowadays will tell you, don't bunt him. Let the next three guys swing away. You may not score him this particular time, but the next time you might. You're going to score the guy from second more times by not bunting. You know, it, 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 I think it removes the human element from, um, from baseball. That no question. No question. You, you cannot do, and it's it's weird for me to have that opinion because I am uh, one of those stat nerds who puts out those nonsensical numbers that a lot of guys roll their eyes at. But at the end of the day, I, like I often tell people, you know, I'm a ball player. I just suck at it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I, I got to bring you back though. To you, you brought up bonds, and I, I've got to ask you. I hate to put you in the spot, and I don't want to get no comment again, but. You got to put him in the Hall of Fame, right? It, it, there's no question. I, I, I'm of the opinion that Major League Baseball ena- enabled guys like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire uh, to do what they did, and then you got Bud Selig in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I can't see a reason to keep them out. Um, I, I can't either. I mean, I, I'm walking the fence on that. Um, I. Yeah, I mean, I don't give you a no comment. I'll, ju- I'll just say that obviously uh, those. There's so many guys uh, that uh, uh, were ad- either admitted to, or, or there's uh, you know the eye test uh, or, or what related to PEDs is there. I mean, you know, we're, we're not stupid. We see that we see the eye test there. We see the different bodies. Uh, we see the recovery times, the ability to you know to work out more. Um, uh, we see that, but uh, there's there's no hard proof of it. Um, should they be in the Hall of Fame? That's why I'm glad I'm not a voter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean, that's why I want to have an opinion. I know those guys. Um, so again, uh, that in time that'll take care of itself. I hope it does in my lifetime. You know, I'll tell you. Ryan Spader's taking steroids, and he's hit zero career home runs. So I, I'm just not sold on taking steroids makes you a Hall of Famer. <laughs> it's BS if you ask me. Hey, Mike, real quick, because you had you, you said don't ask you about the Astros. Well, I, I um, went back and watched some stuff today. You hit the roof of the Astrodome, so that's there. Yeah. Uh, second of all, sure, they cheated, and Ryan and I have gotten in shouting matches over this uh, because he kind of defends the Astros. But, I mean, you were playing when Mike Scott was scuffing the ball, and he had the greatest pitch in the history of the world. Guy's been cheating forever. I just – I feel like – we're yeah, that's right. The yeah, Astros, yeah, yeah. Though, right. Yeah, they have. They have. Then Gaylord Perry put knew how to throw a spitter. And um, mm-hmm. in the old days, uh, guys got away with a little pine tar in their glove and um, batters, cork bats and uh, uh, never got caught that I know of anyway. But uh, yeah, there was, you know, baseball's baseball. Boys will be boys. Uh, if you weren't cheating, you weren't trying. Uh, um, if you weren't trying to get, maybe if you weren't trying to get an advantage somehow, but I guess most of the things I mentioned were some form of cheating. Um, but that was just the the nature of the game. I mean, can you imagine the old days in football? Uh, you know, what used to go on under the pile after a guy was tackled? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, sports uh, ever since the beginning of time have had that element, uh, with the exception of golf, Right. Uh, the gentleman's game of golf, um, that word ever comes up in golf. I mean, you know, a a player ever found cheating or, uh, you know, caught, uh, you know, it ruins his life. It ruins his his golfing career. Uh, And we don't, we don't see that happen very often, but in the case of the Astros, um, and again, again, I'm on the sidelines, and basically all I know is what people have told me. All I know is what I've read, and that the, the difference there was the uh, um, electronic element to it. You know, the the, uh, the ability to use a TV and uh, relay signals by banging on something, and the technology was involved in that. And the other time, the other 
cases we re- I mentioned earlier, there wasn't a technological issue involved in it. Um, so that's the big difference. Where, where I come in on all of that is I think that other teams were uh, doing it as well. And I think that we're stupid if we think that the most efficient way to deliver a signal is by banging on a trash can. I think that there were some other more efficient ways in play from other teams. But without getting into that, and because we've already kept you so long, I, I told uh, we have a mutual friend in uh, Tom McCarthy. Uh, yeah. who I, I I actually one of the nerds who's texting McCarthy during games sending him uh, sending him some numbers that he's kind enough to put out on the air occasionally but McCarthy he told me I, I gotta ask you uh, about what was the highlight for you on the 1980s uh, World Series celebration he told me uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you that um, on a on a conversation with you <laughs> highlight of the celebration uh uh, if uh, he was he referring to the Chris Wheeler thing or not? <laughs> I have no, that, I have no that idea. Was, that wasn't he left a highlight. Me in the dark. <laughs> After I found out I won the MVP, took took me down to the press room uh, down under the in the bowels of Veterans Stadium, and because uh, that's where they were going to have the uh, award ceremony and the press conference. And as it turned out, we stayed there for 20 minutes, and no one ever showed up. <laughs> uh, so. We went back down to the clubhouse where all of the reporters were uh, inside the clubhouse and all the champagne and everything was getting, being splashed around. And uh, the ABC guys were up on the podium handing uh, Ruley Carpenter the trophy. And so I missed the entire celebration in the clubhouse. That's um, so I blame that on Chris Wheeler. We always tell that story when we're talking about the 80 celebration. No, I think, I think uh, riding down Broadway and, uh, or Broad Street and, uh, Pulling in JFK Stadium, I mean, and that was a gigantic stadium. That's a hundred and plus thousand seats in in, in, J, in the old JFK Stadium, and seeing a person in every seat, and the, you know the the cinder track around the stadium, and people on the infield, and um, you know all of us getting a chance to to make a comment. Uh, that was uh, I'll never forget that. Well, Mike, uh, you've been more than kind with your time. So I, I guess I don't have time to ask you about being on Family Feud or doing a milk PSA with Cal Ripken Jr. But thank you so much for this. And, and I know yeah, for I just Ryan. Mentioned that I, was the, I was the spokesman for milk before Cal Ripken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know we were getting competitive with now, lactose over Now, the, here, uh, you know, the people out there may not realize that, but I was. <laughs> It was the Middle Atlantic Milk Association. That's fantastic. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate you joining us. To be honest, I thought you'd want to uh, get on and off with us, but this has been an absolute blast and uh, hoping that we can do it in the future, maybe over over some beers and not for uh, public ears. <laughs> All right, you two guys, uh, stay safe, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you down, uh, down the street sometime. Sounds good, brother. Thanks a lot. All right, see you. All right, so that's been the walk-off with the Hall of Famer, Mike Schmidt. Great get there. I mean, yeah. I just love talking about the game, and he obviously does too. He's still a huge baseball fan. Yeah, uh, Holden, i got to correct myself on the one stat I dropped to Schmidt uh, was incorrect because I was going from memory, uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't correct myself on my own number because somebody will, and it was um, only 23 players have had at least five or more seasons uh, batting at least 300, 375, 550 from 1871 to 1995. All but one is enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that one is Dick Allen. So got to vote Dick Allen. If Mike Schmidt's behind him, everybody should be. And I'll just wrap it with this. I see Nolan Arenado all the time here in Denver. He's an amazing, amazing player. He is the second best uh, third baseman I've ever seen. Michael Jack was number one. Uh, we'll have some eight. I think we're going to spend the rest of the month doing 80s stuff. As a matter of fact, this kind of got it going and we'll go back and I, I put you up to the test. you got to go out and redo all the awards back from the 80s. And I'm, gonna, I'm wondering if Schmidt's going to win another one. So we'll find out there. Great work, Ryan. Grabbing Mike Schmidt. I'm holding Kushner and we'll catch you on Thursday with our next walk off.